Hey everybody, you're listening to the High Sessions Hawaii podcast where we talk about everything local and beyond. I'm your host, Johnny Misato, and today joining me is Kyle Shimabukuro. Hey. And Devin Nakoba. Kyle has a, Sorry, sorry, Devin, I didn't mean to cut you off, but Kyle has a hard out. No, He's only fine. got a few minutes with us today, but we wanted to... five minutes. Yeah, five <laughs> minutes. Just in the last couple hours, we learned that uh, of the passing of uh, Eddie Van Halen, one of the greatest guitar, rock guitar players ever i was gonna say of our generation or mm-hmm. any but just ever i was yeah. a little bit young to be a full van halen fan but you definitely cannot you have to respect talent you know what i'm saying and that guy could shred the guitar one of the greatest stories i ever heard about eddie van halen was of course he played on beat it one of the great you know thriller one of the greatest albums of all time that solo in that song is eddie van halen nailed it in one take came yeah, of in course. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, lost a legend today. Uh, that started with that Beat It um, video. I just saw a story on it. He actually um, did it in one take, I guess, the guitar solo. And in the music video of Beat It, he couldn't be on the video himself because the record companies were, were in dispute with each other. Or because of record company contract, he couldn't be on that video. But can you imagine him on that pool table playing that solo during that yeah, video? Yeah, 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 that would have been That's cool. Right? That would have been no, cool. Never happened because yeah, of but I mean, recording contracts, you know, obligations. Yeah. But we all, I mean, Kyle and I definitely uh, grew up on Van Halen and uh, the stylings of Eddie Van Halen. And I mean, you know, when Eruption came out, everybody, what the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like we knew, I mean, we'd heard of Jimi Hendrix and he was a badass too, but you know, or Jimmy, Jimmy Page or people like that. But our generation like Eddie Van Halen Eddie was a whole yeah. different, Eddie Van Halen seemed to be like a whole different animal. Yeah. Um, and I actually got to see him play at um, NBC Arena back in the 80s for the OU81. OU81. Yeah, OU812. Yeah. With Sammy Hagar. And when, oh. he played eruption, when he played Eruption at that place, that place was just went crazy, you know? Uh, I remember going. Uh, I remember going to Portland. Uh, my friend was going to school at OSU, and I went to visit him in Portland for Thanksgiving. And he got us tickets to go to um, uh, to go to Portland to go watch Van Halen play. And you know, this is a huge arena, right? So he's like this big <laughs> on <Yeah>. the stage. <laughs> and, and you know, they, they had cameras and stuff, but it wasn't anywhere near what it is now. But you know, his the the sound that he put out was just incredible. And you'd you'd watch him and just sit there trying to figure out what he was gonna do next. So yeah. and you know, they they there's dispute, but they claimed that he was the invention of the guy that actually started tapping on the guitar. Mm. And, oh, uh, you know, it's a hammer on and a tap with the other finger, right, John? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um they said when he's when he when he used to play guitar, people used to just trip out on how his souls were and um how incredible a guitar player he was. But when he was on stage, he actually faced his back towards the audience for some of the want them to see. He, he didn't want them to yeah. see. So this is the early days of Van Halen. Yeah. And he started out as the drummer. Yes. He, um what he happened was, was he, he wanted to be a drummer and he had a paper route to pay for the drum set. And while while he was on the paper route, Alex Van Halen, his brother, jumped on the drum set and started playing. And he realized that Alex was a way better drummer than, than <laughs> so he was. let Alex play drums and he took, he took guitar over and who knows what would happen if Alex didn't switch instruments with him during that early yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. And the rest, yeah. as they say, is history. Yeah. Yeah. Musical yeah. history. I don't know if there's anybody who's going to match, who's going to match him. There's, there's a lot of guys who've come after him who've, who people go, Oh, he plays like Eddie Van Halen. There's pretty much only one Eddie Van Halen, so it is yeah. a bummer, man. 2020 fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, talk about losing legends and idols and and just I don't know, for, for losing people with in in my life that's been a huge influence. You know, like Eddie was the reason why I learned the electric guitar and picked up and liked rock and roll and stuff. Yeah. You know, I bought a yeah. cheap red guitar and I had the electrical tape. You know, and made yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Made the guitar, without, <laughs> which is what he did too. I mean, he yeah, made that know. guitar himself. He, yeah, I know. He Franken, yeah. he called it the Frankenstein because yeah. he put it together himself. Yeah, you know, made it because it was the only way he could get the sound that he wanted out of a guitar. And yeah, it was a big influence. And not to say that I ever came close to even being a Eddie Van Halen type guitar player, but I did. I did want to be like him. You know, when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's a great loss. Yeah. 
Well, Kyle, I know that that you got a two o'clock, so you're gonna not be joining us today. But I just wanted to, we just wanted to have you on just to talk a little bit about that, since we, you know, this is definitely a music channel. And uh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, ask Josh what his influences were. I'm sure probably it would come up, you know, in one of his stories too. Because yeah. okay, uh, we're coming to you right now. But um, good luck, you guys. Okay. I'll send Thanks, man. Have a okay, good interview. See you guys later. Take care. Okay. See you. Check out. Bye bye. Okay. Uh, Lieutenant Governor's uh, looking for his email, John. So I'm going to okay. forward this to him too. It has been sent. Okay. All right. So yes. Uh, while we're waiting for Lieutenant Governor to come on, uh, let me remind all of our listeners the ways they can stay in touch with the show. There's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at High Sessions. First, you can go on to SoundCloud, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts um, to listen to the show. And you can find us, email us at highsessions at yahoo.com if you have any questions. Most people reach out to me on like Messenger or uh, Facebook or on the Patreon, though. Speaking of Patreon, oh, yeah. yeah, if you'd like to help the show and get more music on the channel, please go to patreon.com and donate. There you will be more involved with the show and help determine who and what is filmed. A dev. So people have been asking and we're going to be delivering soon. Kyle has been mm. really good and really helpful in coming up with some ideas for designs oh, yeah. for merch. The designs, are, the designs are killer. The designs really are pretty nice. cool. We put up a poll yeah. on the Patreon uh, to give people a preview of what the designs may look oh, like for cool. shirts. What did they say? So they like the one that has the Hawaiian flag in the note. There's okay. two. There's one that's, uh, oh, th there's uh, Lieutenant Governor, so we'll bring him on. Oh, okay. So uh, so we'd like to uh, welcome Josh Green, to, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, to the show. Josh Green's our 14th Lieutenant Governor. He hails from Kingston, New York, and uh, before politics was, and I guess still is, an emergency department physician. Um, yes. Came to Hawaii and uh, worked on the Big Island and decided to stay. So you've been here ever since. What year was that when you actually got here? 2000. I came in 2000 to work with the National Health Corps, and it was in Kau, so I became the doctor for 8,000 uh, patients, Hawaii citizens. That year, I was 30 years old, so from age 30 till 50, I've been in Hawaii. Wow. And what made, what made you come up? I mean, was it just the opportunity that you saw medically that you could be working here and, and decided, oh, this will be kind of interesting? I'm always amazed at people who travel, especially from the East Coast out to Hawaii, that's quite a quite a ways out, but um. yeah, mine was a mine was a little different story. I had a National Health Corps commitment, which uh, was oh. a, a blessing, really. I, they repaid my medical school debt, and for that, I owed four years of service. And I was intrigued by Hawaii. I called uh, the guy who ran the, at the time. The name of the company still is called Bay Clinic on Big Island. They run community health centers. And a doctor named Rick Custodio, who's still a dear friend, he and I hit it off and he hired me on the spot. And I proceeded to work for four years and then got elected to the House of Representatives right at the end of that. Oh. Was your, was your, were you always interested in politics or was that something that just kind of came up while you were here? Yeah. I, no, I had no interest in politics actually at all. I ran, uh, I thought about changing kind of the healthcare system. I was concerned that my people in, in Kau on the Big Island didn't have access to drug treatment or trauma services. And I was the ER doc and their family doctor also. And so mm. it was frustrating to me. And so I was complaining about it on a few occasions. And some of my friends said, well, why don't you just stop complaining and do something? And I, so I ran. I decided okay, I'll run for office. I ran for the state house. And right before the election, it, be, it came out that my opponent had been convicted of dealing cocaine. And oh. uh, so suddenly all of a sudden I was much more popular than before and uh, <laughs> I got elected. He's a very nice guy, by the way. It was just when he was younger and I got picked sure. somehow by a couple of votes and have ever since um, stayed with it. I, I transitioned fully to emergency medicine then so that I could do what I do now, which is go cover the hospital during the weekends. Wow. Yeah, and so, are you fly so you're flying over there every weekend? No, uh, twice a month. So oh, twice, twice a month, month I go over. And used to be more when I was in the house and the Senate, I used to work four weekends a month. Uh, you know, the only times I ever had weekends off was when there were five, you know, when there were five weekends. So I uh, worked a lot of weekends over the years and wanted to always keep up on my skills and, and service just because that's what I'm, that's what I am at my core, which is a physician. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, let me say, it's good to see that you're, you seem like you're feeling better. Uh, yeah. After being sick. Uh, 
sound good, look good. So that's thank you. Yeah, and no, like, he's not. He's not necessarily immune. It's, oh, that's I not, see. It's not totally clear, but I, I think I'm pretty immune. <laughs> so, what did you do during your quarantine? Did you play a lot of uh, Fortnite? Or I didn't. I, I played. Uh, I played Gauntlet. I have a Gauntlet video oh. game with my kids and uh, Joust. But mostly, I worked. I worked about ten hours a day, sometimes twelve hours a day. Meetings. I had two days where I was pretty sick and and only had a couple meetings. I was not looking so good, as you saw on some of my Facebook posts. I, you know. I was hurt. I was hurting for a couple of days, and I had uh, I had fatigue and aches. That was my symptoms. I see. And and a light cough, but I never felt that sick uh, except for those two days. And my oxygen saturation always stayed good, so I got lucky. You know, I had a mild case. Yeah. Wait, wait. You're, but you're the bad. thing was, he didn't he didn't rush back to work. He actually stayed out. Yeah, mm. I stayed. I stayed in my son's himself. bedroom for fourteen days, which was really crazy i mean being in a small kid's bedroom for 14 days uh it uh it definitely it does things to a man yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, i had a i had a kind of a scare i was with someone who had uh been with someone who tested positive for coronavirus and so i i quarantined myself for two days uh voluntarily until he got a test to see if he was (laughs) negative and in two days i was ready to get out of there so i can't imagine doing 14 (laughs) Uh, yeah, you, all of a sudden, all your routines are stopped, right? And you're isolated. So we took it very seriously. My family and I stayed completely apart, completely apart until I was cleared by the Department of Health um, based on the CDC rules. So I did not get near them. I did not come out of the bedroom except for going, when I went to the bathroom, which was right the next room over. I didn't even come down to the refrigerator to go get juice or anything. Mm. I stayed in that room. And so it's, it is the isolation. If, if I mean, obviously, if you're very sick, that's the hardest part. But otherwise, it's the isolation that gets to you. And you can't be with your loved ones or your friends at work or anybody. Yeah. Well, we'll get into a bit of that. But uh, so I'm prepping the listeners. But mm-hmm. you're kind of burying the lead first. But you play Gauntlet? Like the old Gauntlet with the – you can be a, oh, yeah. a, a warrior or a mage or an elf or a Valkyrie. And yes. you go out – Wow, I, I yeah. love Gauntlet. I used to love Gauntlet. Now, yeah. are you playing the original like Atari Gauntlet, or is it well, is no. it kind of the this, new? This is the legit. Or this is the game. We got one. We got a hold of one of them. You know. Oh, like the actual arcade. Elf. Yeah. Wow. Arcade game like Elf shot the food. Or, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wizard is going to die. That's right. Oh man. Okay. And what do you? What is so? What is your? What is your guy? Are you a warrior or do you do a mage or what's your... Uh, I play the warrior and my son plays the mage. And so okay. Sammy played the mage. We played up to level 101 um, once I got yeah. out of quarantine, but still had wow. to hang with them. And so, yeah, that was a five-hour session. But yeah. You know what? When you're on quarantine and you've done all you can on COVID and your kid wants to play video games, what are you going to do? Right, right. Okay. she got him into that. My, kid, my kids won't be into that one. I, I bought one of those... Uh, those sets that play all the different games and gauntlet is on there. Golden yeah. axe is on there. My kids don't care. <laughs> oh, <laughs> great. Gotta get really? play like Dig Dug and you know, yeah. that, that game yeah. also has defender too. So defender, mm. joust, uh, rampage and gauntlet. It's quite a good oh, game. rampage. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. Rampage is good fun. That, that's, that's my generation there. You might, you, you're a young guy then, yeah. uh, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Born Mr. in 1970. Okay. All right. We're, we're, I used to walk over to fun factor. There used to be a fun factor in Hawaii Kai and I used to, ride my skateboard there and play rampage and try to look in all the i'd walk around and all the machines i would kind of put my finger in all the things to see if there are extra quarters somewhere yeah like pay extra round of rampage or whatever yeah okay well and joust is good too all right enough enough video game talk so um i, I broke up you got, uh, you got him on that you got him on the video game <laughs> yeah i got enough people are gonna be like john shut up about these stupid video he, he games totally, already and ask him about the code totally world on the video game thing i was not expecting that okay yeah okay so um i broke down topics into covid homeless and housing is that cool yes we kind of talk about those three things by by the way uh lieutenant governor uh john is a a real estate guy he he sells real estate so Mm -hmm. the whole uh real estate thing is kind of his bag the house yeah but but uh I'm just trying to think of what well, and musicians too. 
music. So yeah, entertain. I've been an entertainer longer than real estate. Yeah. But, uh, those are my That's two. That's true. Those are my two things. But um, okay, so my first thought is, uh, you know, the numbers seem to be coming down as far as infections. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Thank, thank goodness, right? Yep. But as we open up and uh, and get people moving and and re-socializing and all that stuff, and especially with the uh, tourists starting to come in October fifteenth, are we expecting a uh, jump in numbers or are numbers to start climbing back up or is there things in place to try to alleviate that? Uh, well, there there are going to be some increases. It shouldn't be too dramatic. Like, for, in, for example, today we're at 83. Yesterday we were 52 cases because it was a Monday. We've been hovering around um, the, the 90 to 110 range has been our median for the last two weeks. And that suggests there's just kind of a slow burn of of community spread yeah the the challenge will be not that a lot of tourists come because a lot not a lot of tourists are going to come and with a pretest the number will be very small the pretest will drive the number down to somewhere between i mean one in 500 to one in 2000 i'm guessing around one in a thousand individuals based on the prevalence of the disease across the country and having a test that you know demonstrates they're negative and if they, if they want to come here so at one in a thousand, you're talking about eight people probably with 8,000 travelers. However, when we start working again, when the hotels open again, and they will open, then you're going to have a lot more people with one another. So the whole game, I know people want to talk about testing and pre-testing and all that. The whole game is this, masks. We have, that's it, end of, end of pandemic. So mm -hmm. if everybody wears a mask very, very reliably, the numbers drop off incredibly fast and of course social distancing helps when we go into lockdown you have a de facto separation so it, it goes down but there will be a small increase the good news however has been that our number of active cases is down to 2200 the number of people that are in the hospitals at 110 it peaked at 318 so we're you know we're down about 60 percent and that makes it much more manageable we at some point have to open. Too many people are struggling right now with no jobs. No, 40,000 people went on to Medicaid additionally for, you know, for health insurance. There's just a lot of fundamental problems. And then, of course, there's the challenge with people not being able to pay their rents. I think right. you're very, I've told me, you're very familiar about real estate and, and property. And so these are, these are fundamental societal problems that have to be addressed. And that's why I pressed to, once our numbers got better, to open because we can't go into the, the last two months of the year and expect people to continue to suffer this way. Yeah. Yeah. We had on Tommy Silva last week and he was kind of given his, uh, you know, his point of view from the small business side. And a lot of those guys are having some, some hard times. So, yes. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I just totally agree. I it's we, today's paper described 11% individuals unable to pay their rent. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, you know, that doesn't take into account the whole kind of um, underground economy that always has struggled. People that are off the grid, that don't, uh, you know, they're paying under the table. People that have had problems with the law, they've had drug issues. All those individuals are not even ever calculated in the traditional economy. And they're hurting more than ever because everything is down. So right. there's just so many challenges. I think that we have to really balance our overall survival and our, our kind of our, um, what's the right word? Just our existential needs. I mean, we have to be with one another in some ways to be normal. And all of this time apart, it eventually will wear on society. So I want to get us through to December with minimal, you know, with a minimal increases and then get to the vaccine. Yeah. By the way, um, I'm going to go off on a small tangent, but when this thing started, I, I'll say this since I have you face to face. I really appreciated the Instagram stories that you had been posting because for the first, I'd say month, it was super confusing as to what the hell was going on. And those whiteboard things where you, you did the thing and then you flip over and this is the amount of people infected. It was very, uh, a dummy like me, like it, it was easy for me to understand. I could follow it, you know, where I think people are getting, I'm not saying that you, you only talk, I'm, I'm just saying that it was just, <laughs> said in a way that anybody could understand, you know? I, I want it to be accessible, and I, I like to just give the actual numbers without too much analysis. I mean, I, I, I've got a lot of thoughts about how things are spread and what the best policies are, but 
when people see and can be reassured that the numbers are just there for them, uh -huh. most people, this is what I learned as an emergency room physician, no matter how bad the news, give it to people straight, try to give them some reassurance if you can, but even if you can't, give it to them straight so they can quickly deal with it. And dealing with it is much better than the uncertainty of what will happen if you can't understand or no one shares the details. Right. Worst thing with cancer uh, patients is the wait. The right, wait right. to find out what your diagnosis is and then not knowing how it's going to go. Amazingly, people come down once you tell them, this is a treatment that we can try or use. This is what the chance of us getting you through this is. People do better that way. And I treat the COVID experience the same way. It's, a different, it's different than a cancer, but when people understand what it is, understand how many hospital beds we have, then they can say, okay, this is how I'll behave in my life. Yeah. You know, I, I know that you guys, uh, you talked about the mask, but um, I'm sure you've been talking to other, other states, other countries, and were there any places like, I don't know, Korea or Japan or, or even like, uh, I, I'm trying to, Minnesota, or I don't know, think of a state that you thought, you know, these guys are doing things pretty well. It's, uh, you know, they gave a lot of good advice or helped out a lot with the, with the procedures and how you guys should kind of look at this thing. Yes. Uh, Taiwan, for instance, was excellent. Oh, okay. Taiwan, they were uh -huh. very vigilant about spread of the disease, about mask wearing. It's, it's really just, uh, it's, it's really just amazing to see what cultures that can take uh, direct action and get almost 100% compliance can do. It's, it's, it's phenomenal how they can flatten their curve and decrease the spread of disease. Singapore also, uh, no, they're always historically very tough, uh, but the Taiwanese were very good. China, when China decided to get control over the virus in the Wuhan province, they essentially made it impossible for you to go outside your like one or two block areas mm -hmm. without special approval. Um, and it's just, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, and I, I support them and what they do because you don't want to see the spread. On the other hand, Americans are really, you know, kind of individualistic. And uh, take a look at what Alaska, Alaska is doing. They're isolated like us. They were doing great for a while, but now they're seeing a big surge. They just have a, a population that is really reluctant uh, to be told what to do. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you can't get people to agree to the basics, like wearing a mask, not going to bars while there's heavy activity with the virus, man, you get spread. And mm. I'm not criticizing bars. Most of our bars did a great job. But I'll tell you, you need people to adhere to some kind of core approach. And a lot of our states don't do it. Uh, it's, it that's why it becomes political. You know, you have these different ideologies in different states and some do well and some in this particular case don't because you have to have people who listen. Interesting. So this is this is a John John question. Have you heard about those uh, COVID sniffing dogs in Germany I have. that they're using at the? Oh, yeah. So so what? Uh, I researched what, what, this. Okay. So what? We're gonna get some dogs. I'm, I'm excited about these dogs, man. <laughs> tell well, me the tell me the straight the straight and that and easy. So it it is a it is actually a technique that can work. Uh, the challenge though is the dogs themselves can catch COVID. And oh. what they detect is they detect a molecule that is produced by the, the virus itself in saliva. And so they're able to detect um, saliva very, very keenly. Right. And so they actually can do it. Of course, any mammal that survives the virus then does tend to have immunity. Uh, in that particular case, all of the dogs are going to have to go through the illness, presumably. And it can work. It absolutely is a true thing dogs are able to for instance detect um, individuals with bad diabetes if their sugars are out of whack i've always been amazed by dogs being able to detect when a seizure is going to come on because that's more of a um that's like a more of an electrophysiologic thing it's sure. like an electrical reaction but that's also chemistry and now covid so it could happen it would be extraordinarily expensive to get dogs like that uh but you could do it and the presumable place you'd do it would be at, at airports as people were coming in. But, you know, I used to date this girl and her dog used to always sniff me, you know, where, and it gets really annoying really fast. So, <laughs> you know, so you got to pick your poison, I suppose, in this case. 
Well, I, my, my understanding was that the dogs would not sniff. I, I could be wrong, but the article I was reading was something about they would have a wipe that they would wipe you with, and then the dog smells the wipe. So you, they wouldn't be going up to you and necessarily smell. Although the ones that smell for bombs and stuff at the airport do, right? They, they do. Yeah, you, I'm sure they would get a saliva sample from everybody and do it that way. Um, and then they might double check. But they're still going to be near the saliva, which means they're going to be near the virus. So right, right, right. I think that that would be the approach. Uh, but it may happen. I mean, usually training animals to do this kind of thing is pretty labor intensive. So when the um, when law enforcement trains someone to smell drugs or bombs or whatever, they devote a ton of resource into that animal, which is incredible. And that. You know, that animal, that dog usually then becomes kind of a legend in their department because, as you know, they're taking risks that otherwise humans would have to take. Right. And right. in this case, it's the same in some ways. I mean, if we have to swab people and put people in PPE, they are exposed to extra COVID risk. So mm. if a dog could do that for us, great. All right. Well, put me down. Put me down for, for dogs. I think okay. that's, that's so cool. <laughs> Okay, so we have some, some listener questions, and these are a little bit, I think, harder, but, uh, you know, just answer, answer as you will. And, sure. and by the way, don't, don't mind me being, like, silent partner today. It's just I know I'm going to see you on Friday or talk to you on Friday. So <laughs> right. I'm, afraid of, I'm afraid of, like, having to repeat my questions. You're like, Dev, we talked about this on Tuesday. Why are you asking yep. me again? So, yeah. <laughs> Plus, yeah. we got tons of we got tons of like viewer questions, and John has his own myriad numbers of questions. So I COVID forgot to let him go. dogs, man. I had to know about the COVID sniffing dogs. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So yep. the first question was, um, how does the government determine what businesses are essential versus not essential? Well, that was determined for the most part by the city and county, and okay. they they felt that the standard was. Uh, Organizations that couldn't close, obviously, healthcare was essential. Food has tended to be essential, like stores that sell food. Right. And then uh, they had kind of a list of additional uh, additional entities that they felt were essential. Some were highly suspect. Uh, they they favored the the mayor favored the the building industry, uh, and citing the fact that the building projects had to continue in order to get completed on time. You could make arguments for or against all these things, but the broader you make the exemptions, the more spread you'll have and the longer it will you know, be for everybody else. So that's the challenge. I mean, a lot of people felt very strongly that uh, hair salons had to be essential just because that's something that's ingrained in us as something we do. Yeah, sure. Everybody goes and gets their hair cut every four to eight weeks, right? So... It, but it, is it essential? I mean, I love going to my um, barber, uh, but she, uh, you know, she herself wanted to close because she was afraid of catching COVID. She's 10 years older than, than me. So uh, it really depended. But that was mostly the prerogative of the mayors, and they, they kind of went on a case-by-case -case basis, not as analytical as you might think. Yeah. I know Kyle, well, Kyle is, uh, um, who's our, normally our third host, he had another commitment today, but he does uh, clothing wear. So he was, uh, <laughs> you know, he's, um, he's, he's uh, he has his opinions on stuff, but he was asked, well, Devin, you're muted. Sorry, you can tell, it's okay. No, no, he, he was like, you know, is Dunkin' Donuts essential? You know, like, I know it's food, but it, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not groceries kind of thing. And he's shut down and uh, it's a, some of it is, is kind of messy, and I get it. Yeah, it's, it's messy. There's nothing that's clear except that I think the better policy approach would be anybody that we close down or that government, I should say, closes down definitely deserves to have their, their overhead covered if they're going to have to be into a closed position. That's the only fair thing, right. and I'm not sure that we've done that well enough. There were grant programs. They were modest from the city, and that was good. Uh, but it couldn't cover people for very long. There's unemployment, of course, very critical. Mm -hmm. But again, people in general prefer to work. So it's, it's tough. Yeah. Okay. The, the next one, and this is a clarification thing I, I think you can help us with. There was an article that talked about, you know, we have the 72-hour travel, travel restriction or the test. You know, you get your test and then you can come in. But uh, for children 12 and under, is it still that they still have to quarantine if they – 
come into the state? No. Uh, so a couple okay. things. First of all, anybody who successfully has a test, a nucleic acid amplification test, the NAT test, within 72 hours of their departure comes in that's negative, they don't have to quarantine anybody. Children under age five are exempt. So four, three, two, one, zero, they do not have to test, they're exempt. Okay. But between, yes, five and 18, they have to get a test. And it may be a little difficult to get tests for children between five and 12 because not everyone's doing it. But we did set in, into uh, motion some partnerships. For instance, there's a company called Vault that will do the, um, you get to do a home swab and you can swab your children. It's just the front of the nose. It's not the deep swab. Okay. Uh, there's other partners that we're working very hard with to lower the age. Kaiser is one of our partners. And if the Kaiser provider is able to swab at a, a lower age, it will work. It might be bumpy. And I actually asked for them to do 12 and under uh, to not need the test. And I hope that maybe in the second version of this, maybe in a month, we're able to get rid of that requirement before Christmas. Okay. Okay. Good. Thanks for clarifying. Because, yeah, someone sent me an article and it talked about that and it was confusing. Okay. Sure. Then the last question, and this is, this is it for me for COVID. Last yes. question was, uh, now that you've had it, would you have done anything differently to have avoid gotten? Well, to a degree, yes. The way I caught it was in the car with my dear friends and, and the guys that do my security as lieutenant governor. One of them just happened to be sick. And it was very clear what happened. His, uh, his wife was sick. She went to a doctor. They did not do a test, unfortunately. They just gave her antibiotics for an upper respiratory infection. And she went home to be with my, you know, my, uh, my, co my co-worker. And so he caught it from her. And a week later, they finally were both feeling crappy after we were together when he took me, you know, up, up to Javi where I work in the ER and back. And uh, he was positive. So then I immediately got tested and I was positive. So what would we have done differently? The system is meant to catch that case. His wife should have been swabbed that day. She would have tested positive. He would have stayed home in home isolation with her in quarantine for 14 days and, and would not have come to work. I would not have caught it. And then I would never have come to work. Uh, and like I went to the radio station that day, that Friday. That, that Friday, that, that show I did was about 45 minutes before I was given word that my colleague tested positive. Yeah. And Devin just happened to be on vacation that day. He did. He, he, was... he dodged the bullet. Although nobody tested positive, I want to say for the record, because yeah. we wore masks really well, except for when we were doing some of our radio show, right? So right. ironically, that day we were actually demonstrating how you do the uh, surge testing in the nose. So obviously we had our masks off to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. and I guess that's where, I think that's where people are getting uh, a little bit of, uh, confusion because you're, you know, with what just happened for us at, at our station and now what's happening nationally with the president contracting COVID and then, you know, subsequently all these other people catching it because of these super spreader things that are happening. I mean, is it just luck of the draw that Vice President Pence hasn't caught it? Because he's in the room with all of these people. Uh, well, we don't, yes. For one thing, it is possible that they are going to keep under wraps his diagnosis for, for national security purposes until the president is recovered. There, there could be some reason to not share everything. They may actually be careful about that. I'm not saying they would cover it up necessarily, but they might just not offer extra information. Another thing is the president and the vice president may very well be separating to a degree because of continuity of government. They might be keeping some kind of firewall up. I would be a little surprised if they were that sophisticated um, personally, but that's possible. I think the whole White House is going to ultimately end up being positive, or almost all of them, because they just don't wear masks uh, routinely. And, the, you know, the president is has a, got a big, um, you know, presence, and he talks a lot, and so he's going to spread it, especially if he doesn't have a mask on. So, I'm somewhat surprised that Vice President Biden didn't catch it at that debate, although they did keep a little bit of distance because they hate each other. And, you know, um, but everybody else around the president kind of caught it. And he has to quarantine now if they're going to do it properly. I, I should say isolate for 20 days because he had a severe case. Anything that necessitates going to the hospital, getting oxygen and having an immune therapy, an experimental 
antibody therapy, that's a severe case by definition. And he, by definition, then has to spend 20 days in quarantine. So I had to spend 10 because I only had, you know, very mild symptoms. But it's 20 days if you had a severe case. And when all those guys test positive, unfortunately, a few of them are going to end up in serious condition. And then the president will not be so glib about it. I don't even know for sure yet whether he's well or not. I can't guess. I, I wish him well. I don't, I don't ever wish anybody to have COVID. It's, it's really quite terrible because of the concern and the anxiety and the isolation, if nothing else. But, uh, man. It's, I can only imagine how many cases are in Washington, D.C. The U.S. Senate is going to have to pause before they uh, deal with the, um, the question of that Supreme Court justice. The Congress is going to have to pause until all the staffs have been cleared routinely. And everybody that the president saw, like at the Pentagon, I know that they're now testing and closing down some of the operations. Yeah. It's really quite, quite extraordinary. Actually, right, a bunch of the uh, chiefs of staff uh, our so joint chiefs uh, are now in isolation, right? Because uh, the admiral for the Coast Guard uh, mm -hmm. is tested positive, so they've got a everybody who's around him has to score. So the entire like leadership of the Pentagon is now yes. in isolation for COVID, and it's it's freaky because then you've got the president who's like, nah, I'm good, and I, you know, if he supposedly caught it on, and, and so help people with the timeline because if he caught it, you know, if he was showing symptoms on thursday right mm -hmm. went to the fundraiser and all that stuff right then technically from that point 14 days out and 14 days out he's supposed to quarantine i mean they're saying now 10 but he's supposed to quarantine for the 10 days but he was in the hospital for two days came out on the third day and now he's just walking around like it's no big deal but if i'm yeah. if i'm remembering correctly right because when we first i remember when you first talked to us about it it was very much okay look if you got it it's five to 10 days that you are going to be, you know, given off virus on this thing, regardless of how bad a case you got of it. So you yes. got to stay away from people for five to 10 days, period. If you want to yep. be safe, like we're, we are in Hawaii, you do 14. Mm -hmm. So the idea that he would be in for three days, getting these massive amounts of uh, experimental drugs, um, supposedly be better, and then just sort of get back into it seems so odd. That's um, that he's taking liberties with the rules. The, um, the earliest that you're allowed to be released by health personnel is 10 days after your symptoms manifest. His symptoms, he says, manifested on, on Wednesday. What was right? Wednesday? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. the day after so, the debate or something, right? Okay, I, I think so it was Wednesday, which would have been September 30th. So the soonest he should leave at, under any circumstance be released would be the ninth, except that because he had severe symptoms, it's beyond a 10 day, it's a 20 day responsibility. So it's really the 19th of October that he should not uh, be outside of his home isolation. And when I say isolation, he should not be around anybody that doesn't have COVID. So it's of course difficult if you're the president of the United States and you might have some responsibilities. There's some obvious you know, debate that you might have if a person can't carry out their full duties of their job uh, in that capacity at the top executive level. Sometimes they ask that you hand it over to the to the vice president. In that case, he was never so sick that that was necessary, like on a ventilator. But you know, there are some other challenges. One of the challenges that people who are older, present seventy four, get is they get some neurologic problems often after the virus has hit them. And so they get confusion on occasion, um, certainly sleepiness, lethargy, and all these issues. So who knows? Uh, this president does not follow the rules, and we all know that. So none of this comes as a surprise to us. The really bad thing about the way the president's behaving is he's so, uh, he lacks empathy for other people that have gone through it. And you know, I've, talk, I've talked to a lot of people, but we have over 210,000 people who have died in our country, which means that there's another 600,000 people in immediate families that have lost that loved one. And, you know, 7 million people plus have had the virus and were scared or lost their jobs or had to isolate for a long time. So he should be sympathetic to them. He should be um, kind to them. He shouldn't suggest that it's no big deal because for some people it's a very, very big deal.
that's just unfortunately the way our president carries himself. I was going to say, uh, this president's going to president. He's going to do that. I mean, it's been, this president is going to president. Yeah, I mean, he's going to he's going <laughs> to. It's been pretty consistent. I mean, I think any, everyone can say that, right? I mean, it's yeah. So when yeah. you say it's not a surprise, that doesn't. I don't think it surprised anybody. It's but, it's not a surprise at all. He he. This is what his mo is, and Jamie and I were talking about it last night. He just carries himself that way. I think that it may very well be an act in many cases, but I think for him to win and stay in power, he can only win by a razor thin margin, 51% maybe, and probably not even that. And in order to achieve that, he has to put on a show for people who are pretty brash. He's got to put on a show for people that are, you know, antagonistic towards immigrants. He's got to put on a show for white supremacists. He's got to put a show on for people that love money. He's got to put a show on for people that are just hating Democrats. He's got to put a show on for independents that want to see a tough guy. He has to put on a show on for every single group that might possibly cast a vote for him. And that leaves a razor thin margin. And so I think that's why he rarely, very rarely lets his guard down and, and comes off as a normal person. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Oh, okay. Hmm. I, I don't, I don't mean to, to move it along, but I know we're running out of time. And I have a couple more questions if you don't mind. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so um, regarding homeless, because I know that's something that you've been dealing with, um, mm -hmm. can you dispel or confirm a, uh, a myth that's been going around that I've heard forever? Are people getting one-way tickets from other places to come and live in Hawaii and, and the people are basically shipping their uh, homeless here? I've heard that many, many times. Yeah, that, that is mostly urban legend, although it does happen. So okay. it doesn't happen like 60% of our homeless are from New York and they got shipped here. That does not happen. Right. But there have been cases, uh, about 11%, 11% of our homeless have been individuals who traveled here with kind of an intentional one-way idea. I took care of a gentleman from Chicago one time. He had an abscess on his butt and he needed me to drain it when I was Oh, God. I've had yeah, that. So, yeah, well, it's a bummer. Yeah. So I, uh, Ew, dude. Yeah. yeah. Talk, we'll talk so, about it in a second. Go, yeah. go so, ahead. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah, so I, so I drained his abscess and he told me a story. And his family, um, he had been in a gang and he had been a victim of gun violence, shot several times, and they put him on a plane one way here. Mm. And now he was mostly just doing some, you know, he, he was pretty mellow. He was selling pot and living off the streets. And it was not great. And I felt sympathetic too because he was hurting. He had he was sick and he had an abscess, and we just took care of him at our little free clinic that we opened. But that he told me his story, and so he was an example of someone who got shipped one way because his parents didn't want him to be getting hurt in a gang situation in the mainland. And then there, are, of course, some people. It's not governments, by the way. Governments are not allowed to send individuals to other states. That's against the law. But a lot of times, there's a third party, like a not-for-profit, that does the work and you know the state of hawaii does send we do send some individuals back to the mainland if they have uh demonstrated that they have somewhere to go and stay we don't just ship them back into a homeless state in new york or chicago or la but if they have a family member and we can isolate who that family member is and they agree to take care of them the individual or support them with housing we will often buy a ticket back so mm. That's a program that um, Mufi Hahnemann, Mayor Hahnemann, uh, used to run. It's very good. I love that program because it was supportive of people, but it was also practical. So, you know, there's a little of this, a little of that. But the answer to your question is about 11% come like that. Everyone else is housing insecure, poor. They have drug issues. They end up on the street. That's very common. Drug, drugs or mental health issues predominate. Okay, that was going to be my second question. Is the homelessness a housing problem or a mental health issue? But you, you kind of answered that there. Yes. Yeah. Man, real quick, don't sure. ever get an abscess on your butt. That, that was one of the worst experiences ever. Like, I, I, this is a few years ago. I don't know how I got it. It just appeared. And I went to the, the you know, the, I was just like, oh, you know, I'll just go down to the, um, I won't say where because it was horrible. But... They went and they, they tried to like numb it or whatever. And then, you know, you got to cut it open and drain it. And I felt the, the scalpel go like right across my, my butt. And 
I like ah that, like I yelled, you know, and he goes, "Oh, sorry, like you didn't." Because the butt, from what I understand, there's a lot of nerve endings there, and it's because there's a lot of fat, it's hard to numb that area. Am I correct, Doctor Green? <laughs> <laughs> we told you it's free forming. He's gonna go all over the place. So you know, well, okay, we're not gonna like, talk about this on the radio. So as the extra nerve endings. <laughs> Avoid getting anything on the front part, okay? That's where you have the most nerve endings. <laughs> right, right, right. Got it. Um, your butt has nerve endings. I've always found it pretty easy to, pretty easy to anesthetize a person's um, gluteal region, and it's a very satisfying mini surgery to do because people get a lot of relief right away. Right, right, right. Not maybe if we don't anesthetize you. Adequately, yeah, that but. was the worst part. The guy, like, I felt the blade. You know, it was. It was Oh God! I still remember to this day. I, I got. I, I was lying on my stomach, right? Because the guy had to from. When I got up off the table, the paper or whatever was soaking wet because I'd sweated through the my shirt into the into the paper. Are you <laughs> so, sure? You sure you were at a physician? You weren't like at a meatpacking plant. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was a, it was one of those. You just walk. It was a, it was a urgent care. Well, it wasn't my regular doctor. I just kind of yeah. So anyway, I'm not going to bring it up. So, so yeah. So that. Oh, it's a good it's That's, a good thing wow. to go through once in your life i suppose because <laughs> it, it will keep you clean after that i think hell yeah. And, yeah and if it happens again you'll be like kid doc just so you know you're gonna have to put a bunch of shots in my ass because That's otherwise right. i'm gonna really feel this yeah i've been through this once man i know how this goes i <laughs> want extra novocaine down there or whatever whatever anesthetic whatever extra lidocaine. whatever extra you can give lidocaine. me yes yes all right Okay, last listener question, and then Devin, we'll do the, the um, this, these questions kind of run together. Cause so someone asked, uh, do you have a favorite metal band? Uh, you can listen to metal. I don't, I don't listen to a lot of metal. I don't know, would you, would you consider the song Back in Black? Um, uh, hard rock, uh, hard rock. Hard rock, it's uh, harder, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's harder, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Kiss, right? That was metal. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, Kiss was big yeah. in my town. Hard rock, I, yeah. I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, but uh, I didn't have a major metal um, fetish. I was more of kind of a um, a Beatles, James Taylor type. Oh, all right, okay. You and I are kind of on the same page because if I got asked the same question, I'd probably have the same answer. Yeah. Singer okay. songwriter action. So yeah. that runs yeah. into our last question, and Devin, why don't you go ahead and and this up for which is uh because you're around my age you know all about the desert island disc thing so yes. we just want to know from you uh what your three desert island discs are if you're going to be uh, on a on a deserted island what three albums would you take uh oh. by which three artists uh and uh, they can't be um greatest hits albums okay no problem i would take um sergeant peppers from the beatles mm -hmm. okay I would take, uh, let's see, I'd take Woodface from Crowded House. Oh, wow. And I would take uh, Glass Houses from Billy Joel. Oh, love nice. Billy Joel. He got to show off his, he got to show off his New York, that's why. Yes. That's right, that's right. Those so, are very good You know choices. what, Lieutenant Governor, I never, I never did ask you, but your wife is from? Kaneohe. Kaneohe said? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, she's see that's, she's a, see, that's the, that's she's the extra incentive he he had to stay here. That's right. She's a sassy <laughs> version of Kaneohe though. She she's Kaneohe did great. Went to school there, and then they uh, she got a scholarship to Iolani, and then she got a scholarship to Brown. And so she got more attitude as she went. <laughs> yeah, the the um, Sergeant Pepper. It's kind of interesting because my daughter is uh, she's eleven now, and so I've been going through. We've been doing, so in school when you're 11, I guess in public school, they do like uh, sex ed and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. yeah, they do it that early already. But because of COVID, they didn't do it. So mm -hmm. they said, they told the parents, you guys got to do it because we're not covering yeah. it at the end of the <laughs> semester that year. So I've been doing, uh, we've been doing sex, drugs and rock and roll Sundays. And so like we talk about those different things and every, every week it's a different subject. And, you know, it's, it's like, you know, educating a little bit about this and, you know, drugs, like, you know, which drugs are bad. They're all, well, they're all potentially <laughs> which bad. Which drugs are good. Which yeah, yeah. Are there's no, there's no, all drugs are potentially bad. And, you know, we learn about them and stuff. But so I've been doing rock and roll. And what I did is I started off with Chuck Berry 
Then you go to Elvis, and we're getting so this week coming up, we're going to be getting into the '60s. So we'll be talking about the Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, and all that kind of stuff, mm, and yes, then the '70s, Dennis and then Joplin, the '80s. Man. So I'll be going through the Beatles, and then uh, James Taylor, and then uh, Billy Joel, Billy Joel, so, yep. and of course yep. uh, Eddie Van Halen that we discussed earlier before Dr. Josh came on. Yeah, nice. Well, well as it, I think that's awesome. And as the sex ed thing, if you tell her about that abscess on your ass, you'll probably be in the clear. <laughs> She's not getting anywhere near anybody. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. That'll be yeah. safety. Make sure you stay clean and stay from dirty boys with abscesses. The worst advice, though, was my wife because I told her, I have this, this pimple on my butt. And she told me, oh, you just get sit in, in the tub, warm water, and then squeeze it as hard as you can. It'll pop. <laughs> and... Uh, so I did do that, and then uh, when I told the doctor about it, he's like, no, that was, that was horrible. You should have never done that. <laughs> so you probably irritated it and made it worse. Yeah, she, she was no. wrong. It's yeah. okay, though. Yeah. It's a good <laughs> thing she's not in the medical that's, field. That's the, I know. That's the, that's the Maui way of fixing it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just squeeze them. It'll be fine. Just pop it. That's all you got to do. Right. I mean, it can work, but it's not the best method. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so well, gross. trust me, it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've known you for a long time, John. I don't think I've ever heard this story. And well, it's I'm relatively really new. I mean, I this it. is within the last five five years or something like that. Oh, good grief. That's okay, awesome. yeah. Thank you for not being so comfortable with me that you decided to tell me that story <laughs> on your own. You, it, waited just... until, you waited until the lieutenant governor was on <laughs> to share that one. Good. I got, I, I'm, a, I'm a crossover LG. I got, you know, other skill sets. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> Well, uh, Dr. Josh, we appreciate you coming on. I know you're a really busy guy. You've got a million people probably calling you and to do our show and, and come on it. Educate us. It's great. I really appreciate it. And again, I appreciate oh. the whiteboard. Oh, Devin, sure. go ahead. Yeah. Uh, just one real quick thing. Uh, I know there's been some pushback with regards to the testing thing, and I'm probably going to ask you this on Friday too, but uh, sure. with regard to the testing thing as far as the um, – uh, people coming for uh, tourism. Uh, you know, the, your plan includes one test. Um, we're getting pushback now about two tests, multiple tests. Um, can you uh, explain again to people what the reasoning is behind the one test versus multiple? Sure. And uh, and keep in mind, it's it's not just for uh, tourists. It's also all visitors, including yeah, ourselves. Yeah, sorry, all visitors, right. right. Of course, yeah. so 15% of the of the individuals will be our own returning residents. So we want them to also not have COVID from their experience on the mainland. So a couple things. First of all, the prevalence across the country right now is closer to 0.2 or 0.3%. That's the number of, that's the percent of people that are positive right now across all people. 600,000 or so average, you know, 330 million. Now you take that percentage of people and then you give them a test and the test is very effective in that at that moment it'll catch almost all the cases if you you know if they are actively you know got covid in them so you decrease by 50 to 80 percent the number of cases because anyone who tests positive not traveling they can't travel okay so we can get the number down to under one per thousand and we're expecting eight thousand travelers so it's about eight people a day will come into hawaii some of the mayors and others have have been vocal and that's okay have been vocal about demanding a quarantine for three to six days depending on their proposals and then a second test before they get out of quarantine so there's two significant problems with that one three maybe one we only have four thousand tests a day in our state so if we have eight thousand travelers on that fourth day we're going to need eight thousand tests to test everybody if they want to get out of quarantine okay we don't have that we can build that up, we work on that, we're doing what we can to get more tests. That's one. Two, do you really wanna spend another 8,000 tests to try to catch some fraction of that eight to 10 people that are positive and that are not symptomatic, that they're visitors, they're not spending time with us here. Do you wanna spend that amount of tests, that's over a million dollars of tests a day, which they probably would have to pay for, rather than do it on our own nurses or our people that work in the hospitals or nursing homes or teachers, doesn't make any sense. If we're gonna test, we should test smart. We have a finite amount. So that's the second point. Third point is, if you propose that people are going to travel to Hawaii with a pretest and you charge them each $130 to get the test, so family of four, you know, you can do the math, $520, right? They agree to come to Hawaii. 
let's say they were going to fly to Kauai as proposed, uh, and the mayor proposed a, at first it was a six-day quarantine that they were pushing for, but then they pushed it back to a three-day. Are people going to take an eight-day vacation, fly, pay an extra $520, fly to Kauai, be in quarantine for three days, then get another test, wait a day and a half to get that test result. So then now at four and a half days, and they only have three and a half days left for their vacation maybe. It just doesn't make sense. So no one will come. No one will go to those areas where they ask for um, more than one test. The Big Island was asking for three additional tests over the course of a week. All that was was a, a rationale to make sure everyone stayed in absolute and total isolation until they, it's true, they couldn't be positive. But why would you do all of that work with all of that testing for a very low risk group? It, I'm telling you, it doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm actually a little bit uh, frustrated that very smart, good people continue to recommend that because they're recommending it out of fear. They're afraid that tourists are going to bring the virus to us. When, as we know, we had our worst problems in August and September when we had no tourists here at all. It was all local spread, out of control. So it's a mistake. It's uh it's unfortunately using fear and dividing us from people who come here. I don't think it's a good idea. <coughs> and there's better uses of our resources. So that's why one test is adequate. Now, having said all that, because I really want to try to be accommodating to other people's opinions and policy recommendations, I have recommended we do a thing called strategic sentinel testing. Strategic surveillance is another word, where we test 10% of all the people four days after they got here for free. Let's give them the test. And let's make sure that we're not missing a lot of cases. And we won't. But if we find out that we were missing a lot of cases, we'll change our policy. So I'm trying to be as analytical as possible. Other people are using emotion to drive their decisions and their policies. And honestly, if anybody takes 10 minutes to listen to this full discussion, they'll realize that it's really a bad move to spend all of our resources on travelers instead of using these resources on our own local people who are nurses or first responders or teachers or, or whatever that really need it. So I hope people will understand that better. The, and then finally, a lot of people are interested in that. It's all hocus pocus at the end of the day compared to wearing a mask. If everybody would wear a mask whenever they're with others to prevent spread, the, the COVID issue will be gone, gone. So that's, all that's true because at the because at the White House, right? Everybody gets a test every single day, and right. they, and there's a huge outbreak of it right. there, and nobody wears a mask. Yeah, testing true. is not prevention; masks are prevention. And tomorrow, I'm actually going to be on the. I, I'm doing a special with Fauci tomorrow, for 30 minutes in the morning, 7 a.m. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about what works, you know, and what can we do in Hawaii that'll be better. And and maybe he'll. Um, you know, disavow me of some kind of misunderstanding. But I really think that we should be a little smarter about that approach. And, and as we get extra tests, sure. And as they get cheaper, sure. If people would like to do extra testing, I really like the idea of regular testing of firefighters, regular testing of people that work at nursing homes, regular access to testing if teachers would like to do it um, because they're concerned. Regular testing of individuals that are older, our kupuna, who we want to make sure that we don't see spread in a nursing home. Well, well said, uh, Devin. Um, I know that everybody. So, I'm uh, sorry. I, I don't mean to to try to cut everybody off. But I know everybody's got three o'clock appointments. So I'm trying to, yeah, to wrap it up yeah. and. Uh, no, nope, all good. Uh, I'll take extra time. That's it. So. I just wanted to. I just wanted to give the LG a chance to talk about that. Yeah, that was, no, it's I, very. I, interesting. I really appreciate it. Just no, recently, came on. It's so. it's important to me because I, you know, I'm now in a position, I guess, where a fair number of the things I say get picked up, and I try to be careful, but I also try to be like really candid about things. And I'm going to make mistakes from time to time. And if I make a big mistake, I hope people will catch me or fix it, but uh, or make me fix it. But some of the essentials, they have to be driven by good, solid analytics. And I don't think that the uh, arguments to have three tests and quarantine to stop tourism analytically keeps us safer. I think all it does is it, it makes people feel good and then our economy dies and people suffer. And so I'd like to see us just make some good decisions and sail through this last quarter and, and get to a vaccine. Okay. Good to me. 
And uh, you can yeah. get your you can get your Kyle's not here, so I'll plug him. You can get your masks at highlife808.com. <laughs> that's right. My wife makes them, so that's yeah, right. that's, that's cool. Right. I like it. All right. Well, thank you again, Dr. Green and uh, Devin, for, for doing this. And um, until next time, we'll bid aloha to our listeners. And thank you very much. And have a great rest of the week. Aloha. Thank you. John. Thank you. Thank See you, you on. Uh, talk to you on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye.